The following is a paid program and does not necessarily reflect the views of WABC. Welcome to the Dogs in Danger Radio Hour, bringing you honest talk, even when it bites. Now on 77 WABC, here are your hosts, Alex Alexanian and Brenda Bush. Host here, Brenda, good morning. Good morning. Yeah, with the music on, we need it. We need to knock ourselves out of bed, basically, because uh, yeah. I feel like I'm still in bed here. No, not me. I'm up. I'm ready to go. And so, today's show is going to be a real eye-opener for a lot of people, I think. it was. I know it was for me in my research, and I'm pretty into the dog Yeah, world, you were really so. into the research on this one. Yeah, we are talking about dog racing. We're going to be looking at an issue that is not that familiar to people in New York, right? I've Greyhound never seen racing. It. Well, yeah. you know, depends on uh, how old you are and where you live, I guess, if you've had exposure to it in New York. But uh, we titled the show Racing for Their Lives, and we've got some great guests lined up. Yeah, it's going to be a, a great show. But before we get into um, the racing for their lives, as we call it, or Greyhound Racing, we are live from the studios of WABC in 77 WABC in New York City, high atop Madison Square Garden. Our number is 1-800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. Call us if you know anything about Greyhound Racing, if you have some experience, if you've been a racer once or in the past or you are currently and uh, we'll try to get you on the line. But before we get into the subject, as I said before, we're going to do a little bit of an update. And uh, we're going to talk about our Walkathon, which is our one major fundraising of event that we do um, annually. March for the Dogs. March Sunday, for the Dogs. Sunday, May 15th. And right. you can march wherever you are, but we're hoping you join us in person. We're going to do it at FDR Park in Westchester County, New York. Yeah, it's a it's going to be a great event. It's going to be a great event. It's and a I very wanna... dog friendly park, and that's yeah, one of the reasons yeah, that we yeah. picked this one. So. And I mean, the band is awesome. I mean, we have live a great music, live band, free food, yeah. thanks to Panera and Coffee Labs. And I want to talk about our one of our main sponsors, uh, Katona Bedford Veterinary Center, a part of the Bright Heart Veterinary Group. Um, mm-hmm. They're terrific, terrific people, and you know them for years, right? Yeah, absolutely. I can't say enough good thing about good things about those folks over there. And I've been I've been taking my personal dogs there for uh, at least ten years, and they have a state of the art facility, great doctors, and they're open. 24-7, 365 days a year. Because yeah, you know those accidents, those those emergencies always somehow happen in off hours. Yeah, I mean the Brightheart Network I think is a is a is a they nationwide have quite a few. Yeah, yeah, nationwide network. Uh we have a relationship with the people up in Katona, uh, which is uh, north of New York about I don't know 40 miles north of New mm-hmm. York. 45 it's an miles amazing facility, great state-of-the-art facility, and they have some great doctors and specialty services, uh, not only their general practice, but their specialty services, too. And I've seen some some really amazing surgeries done there, um, ophthalmology surgeries by Dr. Mosnick, Dr. Hart, who's one of the best ortho surgeons uh, in the country, and, um, and they're, and they're, really, they're, they're one amazing. Of the, they're one of the few uh, centers, uh, veterinary centers, that actually have cancer care center yeah. uh, for animals. Yeah. So they have MRIs and they have all of the, the stuff that treatment. humans get. Yeah. yeah, radiation treatment, chemotherapy. I mean, I have a very, very good friend of mine that um, his dog has cancer, unfortunately, and he's been going to Katona Bedford. Uh, and I think that, you know, the dog is still alive, I think, uh, for um, for several years now. And the dog's in, in uh, chemotherapy, it's believe amazing. it or not. It's, it's, it's an amazing institution, 24-7 you know, you on a Sunday, two AM your dog is throwing up, you can go in there. Anyway, we're not we're, that we've ever done that, have yeah. we, Alex? <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you, I am proud to have them as one of our main, main sponsors. Absolutely. And I think Dr. Duffy is personally to gonna them. be there, right? Yeah, doctors be... Duffy and Cooper are gonna be at the event and they'll be our uh, ask the expert vet. So if anyone wants to ask advice or get information on Katona, they can do that at the walkathon. Right. And um continuing on that, it's gonna be such an exciting event, I'm telling you. and um, we just got confirmation that um what was her name? Flipper. Uh, Flirty Flipper from Flirty the Hannity Flipper. Show. Yeah. yeah formerly of be, the Hannity Show. Yeah, yeah. formerly. She's going to be there, right? So any Flipper fans out there, um, she's going to be at the walkathon. We have a We have a few... Yeah. Personalities coming to our walkathon. So. Oh, we have a, a whole bunch of them. I've I've already got confirmations that uh, people from The Bachelor, some of those gorgeous women, are going to be there. Um, I've got confirmation that some of the members of Survivor, um, Survivor, Amazing Race, yeah, we got some reality race. reality TV stars there. Yeah, so it's going to be a fun, and they're all going to come up and uh, mingle with the crowd. It's just going to be and a walk really with good the event. dogs, and this yeah. is a dog friendly and family friendly event. So, so you want to register? 
It's not that expensive. You get a free T-shirt. Um, all you have to do is go to walk.dogsindanger.com um, and join us. Uh, yeah. Meet us. Meet Brenda and Alex over there. We'd love to see you and uh, and hear about what you guys think of this radio show that we've been putting on for a, a little bit of time now. Uh, by the way, did anybody see that video of the dog that was um, saved in Japan, the one that was out in the sea for three weeks Amazing. on top of a house? from the two How did that dog survive three weeks at sea by himself? I don't get it because what was he eating drink, and drinking? You can't, can't drink, drink salt water. Salt water, no. I don't so, know. But but what what a story! Did you see that when they yeah. when the they helicopter came in, came helicopter, in and there was yeah. the dog on the house, the floating house in yeah. the middle of the ocean? And he's a cute, cute little dog, and and they thankfully were, he was safe. He was I, I safe. You know, they were. Looking I hope for, the humans were safe too. We don't know what happened. I don't to the think they found the, the humans. No, they were looking for the humans because they thought that the dog would lead them right. to the humans, but the, the, the house was underwater. I mean, I don't know how this dog survived. I don't know how the house stayed floating for so long. But yeah. anyway, yeah. It, was it, it was an amazing moment again. You know, every week there's another pet story out there that just, you know, makes you stand up and take uh, take uh, stock of yeah. the issue and, and ask yourself, wow, wait a second, you know, this is a little too human. But anyway, our number is 1-800-848-WABC. We have two terrific guests. We're going to be switching to our uh, subject du jour, which is greyhound racing, or we call it racing for their lives. But it's basically dog racing. Um, I don't know that much about it. I'm hoping to find out a lot more. So we'll come back with our first guest right after this short break. I'm Brenda Bush, co-founder of Dogs in Danger. For those of us who live with these special creatures, we understand that they're so much more than just dogs. They're faithful companions to the end. They remind us every day that life is precious and brief, full of fleeting joys and missed opportunities. Each year in this country, millions of homeless dogs are killed in shelters. There is a better way, and Dogs in Danger is working to get us there. It's the last chance for these dogs. Dogs in Danger makes it personal, with names and faces of dogs on death row, and brings us all face-to-face with a painful reality. More than 45,000 dogs have been saved with the assistance of Dogs in Danger, but we still have a long way to go. So please, open your heart and wallet to one of the thousands of dogs waiting for a second chance at life. Visit DogsInDanger.com and click Donate to help us stop the needless killing of our best friends. Do it now before they run out of time. Pets bring unconditional love into our lives every day. That's just one reason Best Friends Animal Society believes that every pet deserves a loving home. Best Friends runs the nation's largest sanctuary for homeless animals, but they do so much more. From helping community cats and delivering animals from overcrowded shelters and puppy mills to brand new lives, Best Friends and their members are saving animals from coast to coast every day. They're working with you and with humane groups all across the country to bring about a time when there are no more homeless pets. Join them. Becoming a Best Friends member is easy. Just visit them online at bestfriends.org and make a donation of any amount. With a gift of $25 or more, you'll receive a subscription to Best Friends magazine. Your contribution to Best Friends Animal Society will support their life-saving work and help animals both at the sanctuary and around the country. Together, we can bring about a time when there are no more homeless pets. To learn more and become a member today, visit bestfriends.org. Barkable Radio, the Dogs in Danger Radio Hour on 77 WABC. Here are your hosts, Alex and Brenda. Well, the dogs are loose again as the Dogs in Danger Radio Hour moves into our subject of the day, which is dog racing. And let me introduce our first guest, guest Michael McCann. He is the president of the Greyhound Project. Michael, good morning. Good morning. How are you today? I'm fine. How are you? Good. Thanks for joining us, Michael. I appreciate your calling. Our pleasure. Where are you calling in from? We're in Boston. Oh, so you're in the same time zone. East Coast. We have no sympathy for <laughs> East Coast people. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> Last week we had somebody from New Zealand calling in, a guest from New Zealand calling in, and we took us about the entire week. It took week. three of us to get that time conversion, but we did it. <laughs> <laughs> it's what, 13 hours? 17, yeah. Oh, my God. In case you ever need to know. 17 hours ahead. Right. Okay. So ahead. we couldn't figure out what day it was, actually. <laughs> well, that's all right. So, Michael, tell, tell me something. How did this crazy sport, this crazy dog racing sport come to be? Give us a quick um, history on it. Well, initially dogs were raced in the United States when they were brought in for to, uh, to help with the rabbit population, uh, the jackrabbit population in the West. Uh, people used to race their dogs. And, matter of fact, uh, they were uh, they were 
hunted in large packs uh, by uh, even George Armstrong Custer uh, had a pack of greyhounds that he, he had follow him around in the West. But uh, this uh, turned in, there, there was a, mecha a mechanical device uh, invented in the early 1900s, and uh, very quickly, uh, circle track racing, following a, a fake rabbit, uh, uh, started up, and uh, the, the, uh, the sport grew till, uh, into the 1980s, and there were around 50 tracks in the United States in the 1980s. Um, most of these uh, racing greyhounds back in those bad old days before the 1980s uh, uh, didn't make it beyond racing because they, they were raced. Uh, it was a business, and at the in, end of their racing career, there was no. They were thought to be vicious dogs by many people because they were seen racing around these tracks by uh, with muzzles on. And uh, mm. the reason for the muzzles is that uh, greyhounds are very thin skinned. And uh, a little nip can turn into a vet visit, so they they decided to put racing muzzles on the dogs, and and uh, so people generally thought that they were they were vicious. In reality, um, what's the temperament of greyhound? Greyhounds are among the sweetest, gentlest, uh, easiest going dogs that you can imagine. We call them forty mile an hour couch potatoes because they're pretty pretty uh, pretty laid back and and lazy once you get them into a home. That's been uh, the experience of, of the, the few that I've known in my lifetime. They're pretty, pretty <laughs> docile and gentle creatures, but really, but really fast. Yeah, they, they can be really fast, but uh, the they, they, the they, they work they out well in the city, too. They work, uh, you can walk them on a leash a couple times a day, and they do fine. Mm -hmm. So what's the top speed that they can get to? They're around, uh, somewhere around 40, 45 miles an hour. Oh my God. And uh, how long can they sustain that kind of run? Uh, well, the the typical racetrack race, I think, is around uh, three eighths of a mile. So they do that in about uh, well less than well around thirty seconds, I think. And then, if you, I mean, could they last a long time running at those kind of speeds? Greyhounds are are sprinters. They're not long distance runners. Ah, okay. So uh, a lot of people want to take them uh, jogging with them, you know, and uh, and and they find that their dog poops out after a mile, <laughs> and they can't figure out why. But you need uh, a Siberian Husky for that endurance. That's it. That's <laughs> what you need. You need a dog like a Husky. But uh, Greyhounds just definitely aren't long distance runners. They're sprinters. So so Michael, I've got to ask you this question. I've been dying to ask, and and Brenda said to me, "This is just a ridiculous question," but you know. But being, that never stopped him be, before, so go being ahead. Being the host does have its advantages, mm -hmm. I have to tell you. <laughs> so are these dogs so stupid that they can't figure out that it's a dumb wooden rabbit out there that they're chasing and it's not the real thing? Well, you've got to understand that this breed has been bred to chase for thousands of years. They're among the oldest uh, purebred dogs, and uh, they, they've been bred to chase. And these guys will chase a plastic bag floating in the wind. They'll chase a squirrel, a rabbit. They'll chase anything that that uh, that. If that it moves, moves, they're going to chase it, right? That's it. So, oh, if it moves, that's the criteria. It could be it could be a plastic bag. It doesn't have to be this this nice looking wooden rabbit. That no, that's it, for it, our they're sake. They're hardwired to chase, and you know, for this uh, you know this breeding, it has been really uh, hardwired into their into their brains. They they. Uh, they love to chase, and they're sighthounds, so they can see things from a long, long way away. And um, the, yeah. the problem with gray, the only problem with adopting a greyhound is you really have to keep them on leash or in a fenced area because if they see uh, a small animal uh, a half a mile away from you, they'll go chase it. And, Gone with uh, the wind. Wow. And you'll, yeah, I yeah. often tell people a loose greyhound is a lost greyhound. So. Mm -hmm. You got to be really careful. I live in that know. world too. So, so yeah, <laughs> what do they do? I mean, let's just say that they catch a rabbit. I mean, are they chasing it for the sake of the chase, or are they chasing the rabbit, a real live one, for the uh, for the kill? Well, it, it, unfortunately, a small animal doesn't have much of a chance uh, against the greyhound once they, they're caught. They, or or any know. large dog, for that matter. Yeah, yeah well, that's true. You, you, you have cats are the same way. If you if cat catches a mouse, the mouse doesn't have much of a chance, and and it's pretty much the the the, the case with uh, rabbits and greyhounds. Yeah, so they're chasing it because, as game. Basically, yeah. I mean, they're not doing yeah. it just for like, you know, we, we run on a treadmill just for exercise. You know, we're not doing it. So these guys are not just out there because they need to chase something. They're chasing no, it because they, they want it as game. 
All you know, it, it's funny though. Some of these guys do won't chase, uh, and it, it's I have dogs in my house now who 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 failed at racing because they just wouldn't chase after anything. You know, it just depends on the dog. And I have friends that have greyhounds and cats. I have one friend that has a greyhound and a rabbit. Hmm. So uh, you know, it just depends on the dog. Every dog has a unique personality. But that's not the typical combination you want. You don't want to have a, a greyhound and a cat, typically, right? I mean, that's not a great combination. You're telling. I me. would say probably seventy or seventy-five percent of greyhounds are cat trainable. Are cat trainable? Oh, yeah. Wow. You you can you can have them in a house with the cat. You don't want to let the cat out in the yard running around. But if the cat's in the house, usually the cat's the boss. Actually. Mm. Yeah. When I, I have a friend that has three greyhounds and five cats, and uh, they all do fine together, and the cats are the bosses. You know, the, right. The, but if the cat's outside running around, that's when the antennas go up. Yeah, you yeah. don't. These are indoor cats, and uh, the dogs recognize them as as their buddies, and they sleep together, and they you know they even uh, curl up together on a couch. You know, but uh, you get them outside, and all bets are off. <laughs> so where is greyhound racing big, and is it declining in popularity, or is it increasing in popularity? It, it's declining tremendously, and a big part of that is because of the uh, increase in gambling venues other than ra greyhound racing. Uh, uh -huh. It used to be that greyhound racing and horse racing were the only uh, the only uh, things in town other than Las Vegas. Now, these days, you've got Indian casinos, and you've got uh, riverboat gambling, and card rooms and so i was really hoping that you were you, your answer was going to be that it's because of uh, concern over the welfare of the animals but you're saying people just have more outlets for gambling i mean because in, in i mean in the end greyhound racing is just gambling right greyhound racing is gambling yes and it's a and but the, a lot of people really like uh the dogs and they like the paramutual method of race of uh, gambling but uh it is shrinking dramatically, and uh, in the last uh, 10 years alone, uh, uh, the it's it's about half of what it was 10 years ago. And uh, just Where is it six, big? Six tracks in the Northeast closed uh, just in the last year and a half. Wow. There, there were three in New Hampshire, two in Massachusetts, and one in Rhode Island. It all closed in the last year and a half. Are there any more still open in the Northeast? Uh, no, they're all closed in the Northeast, and uh, as a matter of fact, it's part of the problem with greyhound adoption now because there used to be a uh, regular um, regular runs between Florida, which is a big racing state with 13 tracks, and the Northeast, where the dogs would uh, be shuttled back and forth by their greyhound owners in order to you know change them between tracks. And so uh, there was uh, like an underground railroad that would run up to uh, the northeast with dogs, and all these adoption agencies that have grown up over the years um, uh, now have to pay for transportation to, to get the dogs out of Florida, where there are still 13 tracks and lots of available greyhounds. So uh, it's, uh, it's, it's much harder to, to transport them out of Florida, where there still is a great need and not enough homes for greyhounds. How many uh, tracks nationally? There's, there's 23 left. 13 of them are in Florida. Wow. Wow. So about yep. half. Yep. Wow, that's and incredible. It, that it's really shrinking. It's the, it's the great shrinking well, track. So, so where does uh, where does the greyhound racing industry get its dogs? Uh, well, they, they, there's a a large uh, uh, farm industry supporting the greyhound industry. Uh, uh, Ten years ago, fifteen years ago, they were breeding about forty thousand dogs a year. Uh, now they're down to about fifteen thousand dogs a year. Uh, each track uh, has anywhere from five hundred to a thousand dogs at a time, and um, and those dogs grade off as they as they uh, finish their racing careers, usually at the age of about three. Uh, then they go into adoption. Uh, in the bad old days, pre nineteen eighties. Most of those dogs wouldn't have had a future. But today, uh, there's over 300 greyhound-specific uh, greyhound adoption agencies in the United States alone, and, and those do those agencies have been responsible for placing most of the of greyhounds. Right. Unfortunately, yeah. I think it's still overwhelming for them, right? Well, it, it was until recently. I, I think we're, we're getting most of them placed now. Um, there was a there was a day when most of them weren't never made it off the track. But uh, and when you say the, that, you mean they were killed? The the, the industry, yeah, the, the, that's what happened. They were euthanized. Um, 
And part of that was because of this perception, I was saying, that, that people thought that they were, they were vicious because mm-hmm. of the muzzle. And, uh, and since then, uh, back in the 80s, uh, this Greyhound adoption movement started with a small group of people who realized that they were wonderful dogs. And, uh, and now it's grown to be 300 adoption agencies and, pe- and volunteers and people all over the, the, uh, the country who are just so uh, in love with this breed of dog. They're just, uh, they're just wonderful, wonderful dogs. Is, is the race itself or racing itself dangerous to the dogs? Well, some, you know, dogs do get injured. Uh, any athlete gets injured while, you know, while they're doing their sport. And, uh, yeah, there, there have been injuries, and, but uh, it's not um, – it, it, we've had broken-legged dogs in our house. So usually when they make these left-hand turns that when they're racing, if the dog's going to have an injury, it's usually going to be a, le- a right rear leg. Uh, so um, we do get uh, broken legs from from time to time, uh, and uh, and that's usually but just the a part injury. of the sport. Basically, you know, when the... you're running at those kind of speeds and turning curves, yeah, and stuff yeah, like that, it, right? It's a, it's they you know they they can get injured. Sometimes they bump into each other and stuff. But I've I've taken my dogs to a track to see what they're racing, what they would do, and they could they were crazy to get on the track. They just were amazingly. Without even being trained, you mean? Yeah. Well, they were just focused on it. I took them just to see what they would do, and uh, it it was just amazing how intense they were. Did you have a rabbit going around, or just without even a rabbit, they were just taking to the track? They heard heard the the mechanical rabbit going around, and I guess that's a, a noise that they're trained on, and... And uh, they were just, they were barking, and they, they just, they were so intent, but they wanted but out of the track. But these dogs that. are actually kept at the track, right? Um, yeah, most tracks have a, have a kennel complex uh, with, uh, usually uh, each kennel has uh, 50 to 75 to 100 dogs. I mean, dogs it's, not in like, it. it's not like they're in loving homes sleeping on their owner's bed in the morning and they say, oh, let's go to the racetrack today no, they, and well, go yeah, for actually, fun and run around a few times and then come home and have dinner. It's not quite it, like that. Actually, in Australia, that's kind of how it works uh, because they, the owners take their dogs home after the races. But here in the United States, no, they they are they are in a kennel compound, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, they they have trainers that uh, that handle them and take care of them. And and the surprising thing for me when I first got into greyhound adoption was that how much these guys uh, guys are handled during the day. You know, their nails are clipped and they're cleaned and they're you know, and they're taken care of, and they're trained, and and so by the time these greyhounds get to you as a, as an adoptive family, they've been handled so much that they're very gentle around people. And some of these trainers bring their kids to the track too, so that they, their dogs are used to being around kids, and 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 they're just they love everybody. So it's so Michael, amazing. so you're saying that it's not such a bad life for the dog. Well, you know, it's it's. Their racing career probably is, lasts around 18 months, typically. Right. Uh, they start racing at about 18 months old, and most of them are done by the time they're three. How, how about and, the ones that don't cut it in the beginning? They're put into adoption. The great majority of those are put into adoption. Some, are, some go into breeding. Are there any stats? I mean, is anyone there, really tracking this? The National Greyhound Association is the industry um, uh, uh, they they do all of the keeping track of the number of uh, bred uh, dogs bred and and the and their numbers and so I on. I think and we tried to get them on, but I don't think they wanted to come. Right, Brenda? Did they? Did we try to contact? No, them? we reached out to the council. The council. Mm-hmm. Okay. So American so it's not council. Yeah, right. Yeah, so it's not such a bad life. Um, you're saying that the dogs. I mean, they basically race for 18 months. And then, uh, what percentage of the dogs uh, you find do you find uh, homes for? That's the number that that we'll just probably never know. I the industry will tell you that uh, something like ninety percent are are coming into adoption now. And um, but the they don't go- report. Do they actually report numbers, or we just take them for, at their word? Well, it, it, the thing is that the industry isn't a. Um, it's it's not one. Uh, one breeder taking uh, breeding all of these dogs. It's individual owners all across the country. Every owner might own 20 dogs or 30 dogs or something like that. And when you have a, a population of 
thousands, it's very difficult to keep track of what happens to those dogs after their racing career. Some of these dog, some of these owners take them off and put them at, bring them to the farm. Some are put down. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Uh, but, but nobody uh, has we, the stats on it. No, we we can we ask our uh, Greyhound adoption agencies what their average adoption rate is and so on, and and even the adoption agencies won't get back to us with the numbers of dogs they're right. they're adopting. But we but the rescue actually, agencies are not in the business of uh, of killing the dogs. So you I mean you're tracking them after they come into rescue is one well, thing. Well, cl- clearly yeah. one thing is for sure, in my opinion, anyway. Um, if an owner takes his dog back after he can no longer race and the guy's in it for the money, he's going to have another dog racing and another dog racing and you know a, a, a continuum of dogs racing. Um, he's going to have a house full of dogs within about five years. Yeah, uh, so, so most of these, these guys, they, do, they give them to adoption agencies, and the adoption agencies take them in. They have them spayed or neutered, get their teeth cleaned, and put them up for adoption. But, and... Uh, and that's how it's been working since, the, as I said, the 1980s. The 1980s were the bad old days. The 1970s right. were worse. That was bad. But since then, the the the, uh, the so you're basically saying the adoption. Well, two things have happened since the bad old days, as you said. Uh, yep. One thing is that it's way less popular. So there's yep. a lot less dogs out there. I, I, I suspect that greyhound racing will end uh, probably in the next 15 to 20 years. Completely. Well, you know what? Not a bad idea. And with that, Michael, we're going to have to uh, cut the station break so we can come back with our second guest. And thank you. Thank you for joining us this early in the morning. You're a great guest. Thanks very much, Michael. Good morning. Thanks. Thank you. Hey, Brenda. What's the best way for the good folks out there to help their furry friends? Well, they can buy our Dogs in Danger branded T-shirts, mouse pads, and postage stamps. And you know those stamps are real U.S. postal stamps, so you can use them every day. Just think, someone else finding out about this cause each time you send a letter. So please go to dogsindanger.com and buy from our selection of logoed products. Remember, each purchase helps us save a life. That's dogsindanger.com. Fairy residents, this is Tooth speaking. I'm sorry, did you say credit? Credit fairy? Perhaps you have the wrong number. Actually, no, I'm not familiar with the credit fairy. And I know all the fairies. We're a tight-knit bunch. Why don't you tell me more about what the credit fairy does? Maybe it'll ring a bell. The credit fairy magically raises your credit score so you'll be more likely to receive better interest rates? (laughs) I'm pretty sure there's not a credit fairy. But I do know you can improve your credit rating by paying bills on time and keeping your credit card balances low. Glad I could help. Me? Well, I leave money under children's pillows. Adults? No, kids only. But I do know a good dentist. There's no magic to improving your credit, but there is help, and it's free. Go to creditfairy.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the Consumer Bankers Foundation, the Leadership Conference on Civil Rights Education Fund, and the Ad Council. Throw your dog a bone. Let him listen to the Dogs in Danger Radio Hour on 77 WABC. Back to Alex and Brenda. Well, that was an interesting conversation with Michael. Michael McCann of the uh, Greyhound Protection League. I thought that was, uh, he gave me a different perspective than I thought I was going to have about what happens to the dogs. He was very cautious about um, telling us more about what happens to the dogs. He said the numbers are just not there. uh, Well, I think he did a great job of promoting Greyhound adoption. That's what he did. And um, yeah, 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 and, and uh, they're great. They're great dogs, and uh, the rescue organizations have done a lot of work to uh, to place the ones out of there. Um, our next guest is Susan Netboy, founder and president of Greyhound Protection League. Susan, you're live on Dogs in Danger. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Susan. How are you? Great. Thanks now, for joining that, us. Now we did have a fear that you were not going to be able to wake up this early in the morning, and <laughs> I know we had the police that we sent over to wake you up. Right? <laughs> And uh, did they yeah, arrive we're good. On time? California. We're all good. Yeah, it's 3 a.m. Right, it's 3 a.m. in California. <laughs> now, 3 a.m. California. Our guests from California, we really do empathize. We feel your pain. Yeah, we yeah. feel the pain here. Oh, I'm wide awake now. Now she's right. She's full fired up. You're ready to go, right, Susan? <laughs> right. So, um, so first of all, who who who's overseeing all of this? The conditions uh, of the dogs at the racetrack, the breeding, the the adoption after the fact. Who's overseeing all of this and the welfare of the animals? Um, well, the welfare of the animals is uh, supposed to be left up to the uh, states. The racing states uh, have oversight 
uh, and they they're the ones that uh, promote and make a profit off of dog racing in conjunction with the track owners and uh, they are supposed to um, regulate dog racing in their particular state did you hear uh, the conversation it's very lax Right, right. Did you hear the conversation we had with Michael McCann just a minute ago? Yes, I did. Okay, so what was your perspective on how he presented this sport, you know, in, as a shrinking sport that now has got it all together and that it's not such a bad life for the for the dogs and that, uh, you know, after after their duty as a race, horse, uh, race dog is, is completed, they 90% of the time approximately they find a home for it. The other 10%, I guess, uh, they die. Well, um, you know, I have the greatest respect for Michael. He does wonderful work with the Greyhound Project. Um, I don't uh, disagree. I don't uh, disagree with him on um, most aspects of Greyhound adoption. And mm-hmm. I think, as you said, he's a great promoter of um, of uh, Greyhounds and are getting into homes. But I would um, disagree with him on the numbers and. Uh, life that the dogs lead uh, when they are in the racing system. So let, let's talk about let's Let's break that up, okay? Let's, uh, let's first talk about the life that the dogs lead in the racing system. W- be specific. Well, they're born on um, farms, mostly in, in the Midwest or in the South. Uh, but uh, in, the, in the old days, let's say 15, 20 years ago, uh, there were farms scattered throughout the United States. And... Um, and many of these farms, uh, some of the larger ones, uh, are breeding several hundred dogs a year. Mm-hmm. So um, they're just kind of thrown into um, uh, this mass breeding program. As a matter of fact, dog racing is based, the success of dog racing and of the individual dog owner is based on overbreeding for that one dog that's going to bring in some money. Right. The rest are in the... Um, seven through uh, two positions or eight through two positions on the racetrack where they don't make so much money. Um, They are on the farm for the first 18 months of their life, and it's sometimes a very difficult life. Um, As I said, mass breeding breeding facilities, uh, they're trained for racing. If they don't look like they have potential, uh, they're called out because uh, wait, wait, you mean dog it, owner is not going to put a dog, uh, put more money into a dog that doesn't look like he has what it takes to make some money. So, so let's talk about that. So the dogs are are bred at at, at significant numbers, and then yes. I guess the uh, the dog owner who's uh, breeding all these dogs, he puts them through their paces a little bit, sees the slower guys. He's not going to put money into putting those guys into races and lose money, right? So he figures. Well, he's well, going to lose money on most of the dogs, um, or they might pay for themselves. But you know, the star winner is few and far between. A lot of people, when dog racing was on um, the uptick um, in the ni- uh, late 1980s, it was expanding all over the country. Uh, everybody wanted that big winner that was going to bring in, um, um, uh, you know, hundreds the- of thousands of dollars. Uh, that dog. Never came to be for most people that got into dog racing. So, what do they do with the the dogs that look like they're too slow? Um, they would be called out. What does that it's mean? Just, it's business. Okay, you got to look at dog racing. It's not. Uh, it's a business, and that's the bottom line. So, when you say called out, you mean um, adopted out, or more typically killed? Um, uh, nowadays, um, some of those farm dogs would will be adopted out, but. In the past, uh, they were destroyed. Okay, but uh, even some, many of them went to research facilities. If right. there was a research facility that um, would take them, they were uh, very much sought after by research facilities. So let's let's get a number here. Let's say that let's say that I have I breed ten dogs. Okay, and I'm in this for money, nothing else. Okay, of the ten dogs that I breed, how many of them are ever going to see the racetrack? Statistically, just rough numbers. Well, 10 dogs could be one litter. Um, a litter size is between 6 and, and in some cases, 10 or 11 dogs. Um, I would say that um, maybe the top um, 6 or 7 might go to a racetrack. The slower dogs or the lo- dogs with lo- less potential are going to go to what we call a cheap track, where the competition is less. Mm-hmm. 
and um, uh, the rest of the dogs, if there's really, you know, a dog that looks like it has some good money in it, um, may go to a faster dog where it's going to have more competition. Right. So but six once of they them. get to the racetrack, they're living in cages 22 hours a day. Uh, with cages stacked uh, on top of each other in um, a small, dark kennel uh, that consists of, in some cases, uh, 60 to 80 dogs, or a minimum of 60 and up to 100 dogs in some cases in a um, in this kennel area well, and, where they're and they, let out about three times a day to relieve themselves. The industry claims that these dogs are well cared for because it's business, right? They can't make money for them if they're not in good health. But, wh- I mean, what what's some of the evidence of the actual you know, conditions of the dogs? That, intellectually, that makes sense, but it just doesn't coincide with the reality for the dogs. Right, right. Um, mm-hmm. I will say that things have improved immensely over the last 20 years. I started... Um, Getting involved with dog racing and taking a look, um, uh, you know, underneath the gloss um, and into the kennel areas and in the, you know, on the back farms and so forth in about um, 1990. And what I saw was just horrifying. Um, Nowadays, with the number of tracks having been reduced uh, down to about a third of what they were when I started in this and, you know, about 20 years ago, um, things have improved. Uh, some some of the worst people are now out of the industry, and that's just uh, because the industry is now being right. called by the economic demands. They weren't and, making enough money. But but yeah. still, uh, of and the piece, people are not interested in dog racing anymore. It's, right, right, right. That that's clearly a trend. And you know what? It's a good trend. I think that it is absolutely no need with yeah. the the plethora and, of gambling options that we have. Uh, between the Indian casinos and Vegas Absolutely. and, you know, There's and no horse racing. To have, it's an idiotic. Um, yeah, yeah. An industry that's intrinsically um, cruel um, involved right. in, in, in gambling. Right. You know, people uh, want to gamble with a deck of cards or chips or whatever. Right, play cards. Yeah. yeah but I, mean, I can give you some, hard no- some semi-hard numbers if you're interested. Of course yeah, we are. Absolutely. Give it to us. Yeah. Well, um, we have been tracking dog racing and, and the numbers. We have some hard numbers and some, some estimates uh, going back to 1986. Now, some of these numbers are based on the National Greyhound Association's uh, breeding numbers that they put out. And just for example, um, the peak year for dog racing and breeding was 1991 and um, or 1990 they bred 50 they they bred 38,000 um, individually registered dogs uh, there were already dogs in the system and uh, at that time um, 50,000 were probably destroyed wow. yeah and I looked um, I mean, really, some of the stats, and we have it posted on our web, uh, our website. For those mm-hmm. uh, listeners uh, who are just joining us, we're talking to Susan Netboy, who's founder and president of Greyhound Protection League. We do have um, the stats, uh, a bunch of stats, and I was I was shocked at the number of greyhounds um, that that are unreported, basically just lost in the system. And so, assumption is, you know, when the numbers well, don't is, add up, there is no reporting. There, nobody reports the number of dogs that have been destroyed. Right, right. The estimates. Right, right, the estimates, because they're all estimates. Well, I'm I'm just extrapolating a little bit, uh, Susan, but uh, just looking at it, going back to our example of 10 dogs that I start breeding, you just told me six of them will, will see the inside of a track, four won't. Um, that means that four of them are either going to get destroyed or they're going to yeah. find a home. I mean, it depends on the breeder and, and what his connections are to, to, to dog tracks, mm-hmm. but they're likely to go off in uh, possibly different directions to different tracks. Right, and of the six, uh, depending you said, on their capabilities, and of the six that do go to racing, you're saying that yes. it's a it's a it's a very bad life. I mean, it's not a great life. Uh, cages on top of each other, twenty two out of twenty four hours inside of a cage, only That's let out right. and, three in times some cases, to relieve muzzled. themselves. And, yeah, if in some cases, lazy, if they've got a lazy trainer um, who doesn't want to be bothered with taking the muzzles off, sometimes dogs will be in the cage with the muzzles on. I mean, we have documented cases of this kind of thing, and if people think that uh, that the abuse of uh, greyhounds uh, has come to an end, they need only look at what happened in Florida um, back in um, October of last year, where 37 dogs at, one, at a Florida track were starved to death. Mm-hmm. At the end of the race, that was season. one of the common methods of of getting rid of dogs, wasn't it? At, at one point, they would just well, starve them um, to death. 
you know, in in some cases, the people who are attracted to this business are, and I'm not saying across the board, but there are near do wells who've gotten into the business. And um, they're just looking for a quick buck or some way of, of making a living. And the, and the dogs are the dogs' welfare um, is not the big is not, not the, the, right. the highest priority that they have. And once the dogs, once the racetrack is not operating, uh, whether it's a seasonal or a, a, a permanent close, the, those dogs are nothing more than a liability, a financial liability. Now, Michael and said, and some people just walk away. Yeah, but Michael said that after. So, so ten dogs are bred, four of them end up dead or something. Six of them end up in a in a racetrack for eighteen months of misery. After those eighteen months, they're useless. Now, what happens to them? Michael said ninety percent of the time they they go to rescue and they find a home. Yeah, is well, that guess true? what? I think I think what the what the propaganda is is that ninety percent of adoptable dogs get adopted. Right? If you're dead, you can't get adopted. Exactly. Wow. Yeah, that's great. Um, the, the industry the nice industry logic. puts out that figure. Right. That ninety percent are adopted. Well, you know what I always looked at is okay. Let's take them at their word. I don't literally, but let's say what about that ten percent? Maybe a few go back for breeding, but the majority disappear somewhere. Yeah, I don't. I don't buy ninety percent of anything when it comes to animals. Okay. No, but it's in the industry's best uh, best interest. Right. They they recognized. Uh, you know, when we we started nipping at their heels uh, in uh, 1989, 1990, and they realized that they had a, a PR problem that was uh, horrendous. They started and fighting back, right? They started fighting back, but they fought back with uh, smoke and mirrors in many right. cases. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just kept ca- catching them out and catching them out and putting out facts and figures and letting the world know about abuse cases. And that's one of the reasons um, uh, that dog racing is in such a severe down, uh, downward trend is that people d- don't want to, to, to spend their money on something that they view as abusive. Right. Yeah. Um, and they don't feel this way about horses. There are economic factors that went into it, but I certainly think that the publication, the, uh, the, you know, looking under the hood, so to speak, of what really goes on in dog racing made a tremendous difference. But, Susan, you don't feel this way about uh, horse racing, do you? Or are there similarities you know, between the two in uh, terms of its uh, abusive? I, I understand from people um, who have looked at, uh, taken a hard look at horse racing, that there are a lot of similarities. But you don't breed horses, you know, seven in, seven in, a, in a litter. They come out one at a time. Right. And, um, so the numbers are way horse, smaller. You know, there aren't these, uh, not all horses, I understand, are uh, put onto um, a retirement farm. Yeah. Right. right. Well, so th- right. some of that. Well, a horse is a much bigger. Be... One horse is a huge investment too. So yes, um... that's right. I don't claim to be an expert in, in horse racing. I have yeah. spent twenty years of my life uh, looking at dog racing and scratching. So, under so the I have a question. I have a question for you, Susan, because this one, this one really stumps me. Um, why is it that so many greyhound rescue groups are silent on the racing issue or try to be neutral on it? Well. Um, the industry intimidated them into fearing that the dogs would not be available to them if they spoke out about dog racing. As a matter of fact, um, when they realized uh, the severity of their PR problem, they started putting up um, money uh, that was available to adoption groups who agreed to keep their mouths shut. So they bought their silence, basically. Uh, yes, I think one could put it that well, way. Well, I mean, I think the rescue groups are, re- are really well-intended, and they're doing great, great work, and they want to save the animals. And they're saying, well, you know, we want to save the animals, and if we speak out against them, they're going to cut off our ability to help the animals. And in the end, it's all about saving the dogs. Yes, and I respect that to a certain degree. If you've got a dog track in your backyard, you might have to have to work uh, at it, keeping uh, the people at the track happy, but most of the adoptions, a great number nowadays of the adoptions, take place in non-racing states. So, yeah, so they're um, transported. So right. there, there really isn't uh, one-to-one contact, and um, I know of many, many adoption groups, including the one that I founded here in California, that uh, has never um, promoted dog racing or looked uh, looked the other way. And we were all we always had more requests 
to take in dogs than we were capable of doing. What about? And um, so I just don't think that that's mm-hmm. a viable argument. And what you about guys- medical experimentation? How? Um, I mean, I've heard that that's one of the areas that the dogs end up in. You mean they sell them to research yeah, after? Yeah, 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 exactly. After they're well, there's money to be made if they could be sold. But if the dog is just simply a liability because you have to keep feeding it, even though it's not bringing any money, um, that was a, a very viable option. Um, back in the day. I don't think that, that there's as much of that that goes on nowadays because uh, a lot of that was exposed. Hmm. Um, and um, that was some of the early work yeah. that, I, that I did. Right. And, and thanks to you. Very yeah, and thanks to you uh, and your organization for, for, for that work that really, you know, created the severe public criticism over the humane issues of this, this industry. You this guys actually, you guys have, an, you yeah. have an 800 number for your rescue group, right? Uh, well, we have a nationwide um, uh, rescue out, um, uh, outreach, and um, people can call in to um, our 800 number, and they will get uh, a number from an ado- for an adoption group in their area. So, we if they want to, if they want to adopt a, a retired uh, racing greyhound, they yes, can call we'll that connect, number. We'll connect them up with the local adoption mm-hmm. groups because it's best done on a local basis. Mm-hmm. So, if you had Susan, if you had the power. Let's just, you had the magic button I always talk about. What would you like done to the dog racing industry? I would like to see it disappear. You would? Uh, yeah, with, with all the dogs getting adopted. Right. Well, clearly, right. You know, there's such a severe decline now, and there are there's legislation that's coming up in Florida, for example, that may eliminate uh, live dog racing in Florida altogether. Oh, really? Wow, I didn't know yeah. that. Want to tell you our know, listeners a little about that so they can get involved if they want to? Well, the the question is, with 13 tracks currently in Florida, that would be a huge number of dogs. I'm not saying that it would happen all at once, but, I mean, we have to really keep an eye on that. If it, yeah. if it happens, it's going to be in the track There would be owners. overwhelming who's, need for rescue. Who's pushing it, Susan? Um, well, actually, the tracks um, no longer, uh, the dog track owners are interested in making money. And they don't care whether it's, um, uh, what kind of gambling it is. And dog, live dog racing is a liability to the track owners. It's an expensive way to make, uh, it's usually a losing proposition. And they make their money on their card rooms and their, uh, the other, uh, you know, more glossy forms of gambling that they now have in their establishments. So, um, so they're, trying they're to legislate. reaching out to legislators now to split off uh, dog racing from uh, the other means of, ma- of gambling that they have at their disposal. So they want to get rid of dog racing on their well, on their tracks. Many of the track owners do. Just get rid of it. That's what's yeah, going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Because the mom and pop dog tracks are really kind of out. There are a few of them left. You know, where there was dog, it was dog racing, and that was it. And they had, they were kind of bound to it. But uh, that's really a thing of the past. And, that, and you're talking about 500 dogs per track, times 13. Oh, sometimes in some cases a thousand. The big track, there so could be a thousand dogs. So you could be talking ten thousand dogs in Florida, greyhounds easily. Wow, and, and that wow. would be overwhelming to adoption groups. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. But, but, well, you can rest assured if that me, happens, we'll be talking about it again to try to get them adopted. Yeah, so. let me just uh, point out to you that we just uh, rescued th- um, nearly three hundred dogs from Guam, which uh, may, need I point out is six thousand miles away. Right. Wow. And um, uh, that was a uh, res- that was a rescue effort that was... Um, Susan, I, Susan I, ha- I hate to cut you off, but my engineer just told us we are way over time and we have to cut the station break. Otherwise, they're going to kick me out of here. But people so. can read more about it on our website or they could go to yeah, the Greyhound Protection can, League and read it there. They All can right, call one 800 hounds and get connected to an adoption group. You Great. got it, Susan. Thank Thanks you. a lot, we'll Susan. We'll be right back with the rest of the show. When we first started thinking about dogs in danger, we had one overriding thought. Millions of innocent dogs were being killed in shelters each year in this country. And we realized there was no way for the public to know which dogs were going to die and when. That's when the light bulb went on. So we created DogsEndanger.com, where every dog gets a last chance at life. The good public embraced the idea, and more than 45,000 dogs are alive today, bringing joy to families everywhere. In today's economy, it's hard for anyone to part with their money. But Dogs in Danger needs your help to keep saving lives. If you believe, like we do, that needless killing is morally wrong, then do something about it. Please go to dogsindanger.com and make a tax-deductible donation. Just $18 a month will help us continue our life-saving mission. Donate to dogsindanger.com 
and do something good for your soul. Gain a body, save a life. Dogsindanger.com. Right now, thousands of wonderful dogs are in shelters waiting for families. Meanwhile, puppy mills breed tens of thousands of puppies each year to be sold in pet stores or over the Internet for profit. Dogs in puppy mills never feel the touch of a kind hand or grass under their paws. They're forced to have litter after litter to produce puppies for sale in pet stores at high prices. At the same time, many dogs lose their lives in shelters because people choose to buy rather than adopt their pet. Best Friends is working with you and with Humane groups all across the country to bring about a time when every animal has a loving home and there are no more homeless pets. Through their puppy mill incentive, thousands of dogs have been rescued from lives of suffering and have become part of loving families. And you can help save even more. Text the word DOG to 90999 to give $5 to Best Friends Animal Society and help save the life of a puppy mill dog. Together, we can make the dream of no more homeless pets come true. Message and data rates may apply. The Dogs in Danger Radio Hour. Honest talk, even when it bites. On 77 WABC. Here are your hosts, Alex and Brenda. Welcome back to the Dogs in Danger Radio Hour. And uh, what a discussion we're having about greyhound racing. It was really, it was an eye-opener. Yeah, it's time to get rid of it. Come on, it's an idiotic sport. Gambling, profit on on suffering of animals is, yeah. So, um... This is the part of the show where we uh, we highlight um, a dog from the Dogs in Danger website, and uh, today's dog is Sonoma, who is an adorable. I know I say they're all adorable; they're not all adorable, but this one really is. Um, she is estimated to be ten weeks old. She's just a puppy and uh, about ten pounds. Friendly. She's a terrier mix. She's in Greenville County, South Carolina. And, uh, yes, there are um, volunteer transport. If you live in the New York metro area and you're thinking about adopting, call the shelter. This dog only has a few days left. How many days? Uh, eight days. Eight days left. And it's a puppy, eight right? Days. Let me see the She picture. is adorable. She's just, you know, and she looks scared. And, you know, it's he's just. all white. It's heartbreaking. Oh, God, he's cute. Just he's really cute. She. It's a little she, girl. Yeah, yeah. And he's all white and he's got these Big brown eyes looking at you, huh? Yeah. Look at those eyes. They just stare right through you, those, yeah, yeah. those pictures. You, you know, do. some it, a picture really is worth a thousand words, and we said that when we started the Dogs in Danger website. You make it personal. It really makes a difference. I say it every week. I dare you, go to the website, stare into the eyes of these dogs, and I challenge you to, you know, not do something about it because uh, it, it really affects you. If you love your pets, if you love animals, then, uh, then going to the Dogs in Danger website will give you an awakening because, you know, we're the only place that keeps track of um, of the dogs that live and the dogs that don't. That's right. Dogs so, don't just disappear on our website. Yeah, they just don't disappear. Every other website in the country, they we disappear, track, we track, not ours. We track the dog's ultimate fate forever. So, um, you know, the ones that don't make it, they deserve to be remembered. And so... Absolutely. And this is a gorgeous dog. And he's a puppy, and she deserves to live. She's really cute. Every week I say, we have room for just one more, right? But really, South Carolina. Go on the website and look for South Carolina. Greenville County Animal Services in South Carolina. That was a a really good discussion. Um, Both our guests were were terrific, and uh, I enjoyed finding out a lot about the dog racing, and I'm happy that it's going to be gone, hopefully, in the next few years. Next week we're uh, talking about the rising cost of vet care oh my god have you been to how much is too much oh yeah (laughs) so we're going to talk about that we're going to have a couple doctors with us i'm sure but until that period this is alex alexanian and brenda bush signing off for today and going back to uh, normal life thank you see you next week